Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. First Corinthians chapter one, eighteen to thirty one. Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, And the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. This morning we're continuing on in our sermon series in the book of Mark. And the passage this morning is Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. That's Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Listen to God's word now. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. We all have a, a pretty good sense that it's, it's hard to get people to do something. I just think about our experience in life. If you think about, um, think about advertising, how many advertisements do you see during a week? Each one of those is trying to get you to do something that you might not want to do. Think about how much money and effort people pour into these advertisements. Maybe it's to get you to buy a new car. I've seen a lot of those ads recently. Maybe it's just something as simple as buying the next pack of crackers. You you start to see that in our life, we know that this is true. It's hard to get people to do something. You don't have to look, though, too far, because you can look in your own families. 
I think all of us who are parents, and even if you're not a parent, you can look and see it's hard to get your children to do something. Um, you can tell them what to do, and they still might disobey. And in some cases, the might is almost a definite. We know what that's like. We know how hard it is to have people do something. Well, in our passage this morning, we see something extraordinary. Because we see Jesus speak. That's all he does is he speaks. And men instantly drop everything and obey him at great cost to themselves. How did Jesus do this? We know how hard it is. How did Jesus do this? Well, he didn't have a gimmick. He didn't have a shtick. He didn't have some sort of charismatic personality to pull this kind of thing off. No. Jesus has power that you and I can only dream of because Jesus has authority as the Son of God. And when he calls his people, when he calls his disciples here, when he calls you and I, we come. That really shows us the main point of the the passage. The Son powerfully calls his people to follow him. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, powerfully calls his people to follow him. We're going to see four points here. We're going to see the Son calls with authority. Son calls people. Son calls for a purpose. And the Son's call takes priority. I know that's a lot. So I tried to boil it down. I know we all like apps. We've got apps on our phone, right? Well, this morning, we have an app, right? Jesus is authority. Then there's people. There's purpose. And there's priority. You might roll your eyes, but I think you'll remember that we're looking at Jesus as he calls people. Now, as we look at these specific verses, we're going to look at all of the points together, and specific verses will come out as we go. So first we see that the Son in this passage calls with authority. If you remember how the book of Mark opened, we met Jesus. And we know from the very first verse that he is Jesus, the Son of God. And being the Son of God means that Jesus comes with authority. The first events actually in the Gospel of Mark show Jesus' authority. Last week we saw that Jesus came preaching the Gospel. This week he comes calling disciples, and next week, Lord willing, we'll see that he comes teaching and healing with authority. He's doing these things like no man has ever done because he's different. He has the right and power to do these things as the Son of God. He is anointed and approved by God to bring salvation. Now we see Jesus' authority in our passage very clearly as he calls his first disciples to follow him. We see Jesus' authority first in his command. Notice what he says, very simple, follow me. Jesus is not asking these men to come. He's not begging them to come. Jesus is commanding them to come. And what Jesus commands here in this very simple two words requires the entire lives of these four men. Follow me. It is a simple command with life-changing implications because this is a call to lifelong discipleship. Jesus is commanding Simon and Andrew and James and John to commit their lives to following him. 
Some of us have been in the military. You know, you sign up for a few years. When your time is done, you're out. That's not the kind of discipleship that Jesus is talking about here. No. You sign up for life. And there's no opt-out clause later. You know, when things get rough, these men cannot walk away. Jesus is commanding them to follow in all parts of their life, no matter what happens. And to make Jesus' command here even more amazing, I mean, that's, that's astounding that he has a call on their lives. Jesus commands them to follow him for the rest of their lives. It's personal. Don't just follow some teaching. Don't even follow God. Follow me. That probably doesn't sound very strange to us because this idea is now part of how we speak as Christians, right? How many times have you heard someone say, you know, I'm following Jesus. That's something we say a lot. In the Old Testament, ever spoke like this. No one ever said, follow me as a person. Maybe Elijah, remember Elijah called Elisha to follow him as a prophet? That might be the closest that we ever see. But no prophet or man of God ever commanded people to follow him. They always pointed people away from themselves to God. They called people back to following God. So how can Jesus now tell these men, follow me? He can do this because he is God. He is the Son of God. He is fully God. And that means he has the authority and power of God to call people to follow him unconditionally. Jesus' command is amazing. It covers all of their lives. But what happens here in the passage is even more extraordinary. Jesus commands these men to follow him, and without hesitation, they drop everything and they follow him. Simon and Andrew, they walk away from their nets, and James and John leave their father behind to follow Jesus. If you were walking along the beach and you saw this scene today, you would think something has gone seriously wrong. What is going on here? How does this person have the right to do this? And what's wrong with these people that they're dropping everything in the water and just following this man? We know that this would be different, and it's different because Jesus is different. Jesus' identity as the Son explains why Andrew and Simon and James and John do this. Jesus is not just another preacher with some sort of charismatic personality. following Jesus because he gave them a good speech. He did speak, but he spoke simply and powerfully. As God, Jesus' words have power through the Spirit to change men's hearts so that they willingly follow him. And that's what we see with these men. Jesus spoke, their hearts were changed, and they committed their lives to follow him. But that leads us to our second point, that the Son calls people. It may be one of the most obvious parts of this passage, right? But it's worth talking about, that Jesus calls people to follow him. Jesus is the Son of God, so he has the power to do anything. And yet one of the first things he does in his ministry, really one of the most important things he does in his ministry, is to establish a close relationship with four men. These four men listed here. Part of what Jesus is doing is he's actually living out the covenant. 
Remember what the covenant is. It's the relationship that God establishes with us as his people. And he guarantees it with his word. He says, I will be your God. And you will be my people. Well, here's Jesus, the Son of God, doing that exact same thing. He is entering into a personal relationship with his people. Just to push that a little further, notice that none of these men came looking for Jesus. None of these men went on a mission to find Jesus. Jesus was on a mission to find them. We see that in his incarnation as he comes to his people. And we see this now as he begins his ministry. He comes to call his people to follow him. And he calls particular people. Notice that he calls these specific four men. Not just a group of men in general, but four specific men. And actually, as Mark says, even here in these four verses, we know a lot about them. We know their names. We know their relationships. They're brothers. They have a father. We know their jobs. We know they've been fishermen. And through the rest of Mark, we're going to learn a whole lot more about them. But this is a reminder that Jesus doesn't have a relationship with a nameless, faceless mass of humanity. He knows each one of his people, and he calls each of us by name. That's true when he saves us, right? His effectual calling, when he brings us to salvation, he chose you by name to save And he brings you to salvation in his time. He's invested in your life to bring you to faith. But Jesus also knows you and calls you throughout the rest of your life as we serve him. He knows you. He loves you. He has prepared good works for you specifically to do. Not just somebody else. Not somebody else in the church. No, for you alone to do. Jesus knows you. And he cares about you and he's called you. Think about what Jesus says in John 10. He talks about this. He says, I am the good shepherd and the the sheep know me and I know them and I call them to myself. So Jesus, he calls people, he calls particular people and works in their lives. And think about who these men are. None of these four men are people that you might think the Son of God would choose. If he's the Son of God, if he's God coming to visit his people in power, why would he choose four fishermen from Galilee? Why would he go far, far away into some small rural town and call four blue-collar workers to follow him? It doesn't make sense. He doesn't go to find some sort of wealthy person who can bankroll his ministry He doesn't find a successful businessman and say, well, you've you've done really well with that company. You'll do really well with me as well. He doesn't do that. He also doesn't go down to Jerusalem and try to find the the religious leaders, calling some Pharisees and scribes and saying, you need to follow me. No, Jesus picks ordinary, humble people to follow him. And notice that Jesus, again, goes out of his way to pick these men. These are not secondhand, oh, the first plan didn't work out, other people turned me down, I guess I'll settle for you. These are the cream of the crop. These are the people that Jesus went out of his way to have follow him. You know, Paul wrote about something like this in 1 Corinthians 1. He read it earlier in the service. Our wise God works like this. This is what he does. 
He does it to prevent our pride and to show His glory. God chose what seemed like a weak way to bring His message, a cross, and preaching the message of the cross to bring people to salvation. And the people God has chosen to save so many times are seemingly unimportant people like you and me. None of us here are really anything in terms of the eyes of the world. None of us are CEOs. None of us are uber successful. None of us have political situations. Nothing like that. But God delights to save us. God delights to save all who are His people. As we look at these four men and we look through the rest of Mark, we know that God chooses men with particular strengths and weaknesses, and especially with struggles with sin. These four men are not perfect. As we go through the rest of the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see their strengths and weaknesses very clearly. Just take Simon. He's a great example. He's a great example because he does a lot of bad things, right? Think about the life of Simon. He's the first to confess Jesus as the Christ. And he's also the one who abandons Christ right before he dies. But Jesus chooses Simon and the rest of these men, and he chooses you and me already knowing how we will sin against him. Think about that. You do not know. You may look at your past life and you can see how you've sinned against God. You've sinned against Jesus. You don't even know what's coming in the future. Jesus perfectly knows every single time you are going to sin against him from now until the day you die. And he still chose you. You might not want to hire someone if you knew how they were going to mess up a big job or hurt you down the road. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He willingly died for all the sins of his people. And he is able to use even our sins against him to accomplish his good purposes. But notice also that Jesus doesn't call all people. In this passage, he calls four men, but he doesn't call Zebedee. Could be that God has chosen not to save those particular men. Or it could be that he was going to save them, but he was going to do that in a different way. He needed a different plan for how they were going to serve him in their lives. It's just a reminder that we need to trust Jesus and his perfect call in our lives and in the lives of others. Don't try to second, je- second guess what Jesus is doing. So Jesus calls with authority, he calls people, and he also calls for a purpose. You can see Jesus' purpose for calling these men in verse 17. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That's the purpose. To make Simon and Andrew and James and John fish men. They obviously knew a lot about being fishermen, right? That was their job. Jesus says, no, I'm giving you a different job. I'm giving you actually a different identity. Your new purpose is to fish men. That's a really striking picture. We can can see what it means. And Jesus is going to do this by making them preach the gospel. That's the net, so to speak, that they are casting out now, not in some lake, but in the crowds when they go to preach. They are preaching the gospel, and the gospel with God's power will catch men and bring them into the kingdom of God by faith. What Jesus is doing in making these men fishers of men 
is actually giving them an opportunity to be involved in his own ministry. He is the fisher of men. He is the one who comes to seek and to save the lost. He is the one who preaches the gospel. Look at the verses we just looked at last week, verses 14 to 15. Jesus comes preaching the gospel and people respond to the message. They repent and believe in the gospel and are brought into the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to have his disciples to do this work and more as well. Now, throughout the Gospel of Mark, we'll see the disciples getting involved in Jesus' ministry. In chapter 6, for instance, he sends them out two by two to preach the Gospel, cast out spirits, and heal the sick. Those are the exact same things that Jesus does. And Jesus' purpose for his disciples here, for these apostles, goes actually far beyond just helping in his ministry while he's here on earth. Because he called the apostles to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is what he tells them in the book of Acts. These men were called to proclaim the good news of Christ and to establish the church. Think about it. The point is that Christ continued his ministry through these apostles, even as he reigned in heaven. Jesus calls you and me for a purpose as well. I want you to see that this morning. Each one of us is actually involved in Jesus' ongoing ministry, even this morning. Remember, the apostles were unique. What they did, no other person has been able to do. But Christ uses each one of us to build up the church and to proclaim the good news. Look at Ephesians 4 again. I've, I've talked about this before, but look carefully. It is the pastor and the people who Christ uses in his church. That can apply in so many areas, but I want to bring it home to what Christ says here. Because it means that the work of spreading the gospel, of fishing for men, is also the work of everyone in the church. It's not just my job, though I have a special role as I can preach the gospel to you, but it's also your responsibility as well to spread the good news. Let me ask you a question then. How is your fishing going? How is your fishing going? Each one of you are fishers of men. That's who Christ has made you to be. He has given you the great privilege of sharing the good news with others. He's giving you the power to actually be able to do that. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty this morning, right? The, the point is not to ask that question to make you think, boy, I've just got to try harder. It's true we can all grow in our witness, but sometimes, I think this is the case for many of us, we need to be reminded of who Christ has made us. Christ has made us to be fishers like men, fishers of men. It's also true I'm not going to hand you a fishing rod as you walk out the door, though I thought about that. Um, But I do want you to leave knowing that Christ is giving you opportunities in your life to share the gospel. Each one of us has many opportunities. And more than just giving us those opportunities, Christ promises strength to speak the words that unbelievers need to hear. So we've seen that he speaks with authority. Son, he's calling people. He calls us for a purpose. And fourth and finally, we see that the son's call takes priority. We see this in what these four men leave behind to follow Jesus. They leave their jobs and their families to follow Jesus. Notice the details again. 
Simon and Andrew drop their nets and they walk away. And James and John go even further. Not only do they drop the nets, they leave the boat and they leave their father Zebedee behind. I mean, you can almost see Zebedee's shocked face as his two sons walk away following Jesus. We know that jobs and families are good priorities. They are two of the most important priorities in our lives. But following Jesus is more important. Now we know that none of these men completely abandoned their jobs or families. Peter stayed married, for instance, and they had boats and fishing nets later. So they aren't being sinfully irresponsible in following Jesus. But we do see that Jesus' call radically reorients their life. Even good God-commanded priorities take second place to Jesus' powerful call to discipleship. I'm not telling you to quit your job. I'm not telling you to leave your family, take a long trip in order to obey Jesus' call for you to follow Him. It's true, actually, though, that there might come a time in your life when you do need to sacrifice like that, when your job is getting in the way of your service to Christ. Or that family, some of the concerns of family, some of those issues, you need to walk away from that for a little while so that you can be ready to obey Christ. But for the most part, we're called to obey Christ, to follow Him in much more ordinary-seeming ways. And they, they might seem like ordinary ways, but they are actually just as radical as what Simon and Andrew and James and John do. Because obeying Christ and following Him shapes everything else that we do. There is no part of your life that is not shaped by being a disciple of Christ. Let's use work as an example. Many of us have jobs. Even if we don't have jobs, we have other things that God has called us to do. In Colossians 3, Paul says that in our jobs, we are working for the Lord and not for men. And that the Lord actually will reward us for the work that we do. Think about how that changes then. Being a disciple of Christ in that way changes you at work. Well, you aren't working to try to please your boss. You want to do a good job. You are not working for his approval, though. And you are not working for the paycheck. You need the paycheck to support your family, but that's not why you're working. You aren't even working for the satisfaction of a job well done. Though that's good as well. You are working for the approval of and reward of God alone. That changes, your, that changes your attitude about work. Work isn't something boring. Work isn't something to complain about. something to rejoice in because you can work for God. And that changes your work ethic because you're going to work hard, not because your boss is looking over your shoulder, but because you know God is looking down in love and He delights in what you're doing. And when we work for the Lord, that also changes our boundaries. We have to serve God first. That tells us sometimes we got to step back. No, I'm not going to take on that project. I'm not going to do that other thing because that's going to get in the way of serving God in other areas of my life. Like I said before, work doesn't have to be a paid job. We all have responsibilities. Even the kids in this congregation are able to work for the Lord. How we use our free time, how we raise our kids, how we obey our parents, everything is subject to Christ and his call to be his disciples. The point is this. Christ takes priority over everything else in our lives, and his call to discipleship shapes everything else that we do. 
Jesus is still doing that work of calling his disciples that we see in this passage. He is doing that work this morning of calling you to be his disciples. Through his word, he is speaking to you. Through the word preached and the word read, hear Jesus' voice. He takes that word and he applies it by the Holy Spirit. He is calling you and me to follow him. He is calling each of us to a lifetime of discipleship. Do you hear his voice this morning? I'm not saying do you hear him speaking to you kind of in an audible whisper or something. Do you hear his voice in the word? Do you hear his call to discipleship? What areas of your life do you need to grow in as a disciple of Christ? Have you heard him graciously showing you opportunities to grow in your discipleship even this morning? Maybe we need to grow in our, in our attitude of serving him. You know, it's so easy to be discontent or discouraged, especially when discipleship is hard. Maybe we need to grow in our actions as well, though, because as we look at our lives, we see that we're actually following someone or something else besides Jesus. Our commitment to Christ is not complete. I want each one of us, then, to hear the voice of our gentle, powerful Savior calling each one of us this morning, follow me. And what Peter and Andrew and James and John discovered, and what each one of us learns as well, is that when Jesus calls us to a life of discipleship, he gives us the grace to live that life as well. We need to hear that. We need to hear that because it's so easy to read this passage and just think how amazing these men are for responding so well to Jesus. Um, You might think, "I, I would never do that. I wouldn't respond that way. And actually... Like I said earlier, we'll find out these men aren't as great as we think they are. We'll discover that they weren't as holy as they might appear here. But why did they respond like this? And why do you and I respond when Jesus calls us to follow him? Think back on your own life. Why did you respond when Jesus called you to faith and saved you? Think about areas of life where he's called you to be more consistent as a disciple. Why do you follow him? It goes back to the identity of Jesus. Think about who he is. He is the son. And he has authority to call people to follow him. And he has the power to actually produce that result. That means any time that you see your faith and your obedience or you see those things present in someone else, you can rest assured that those are Jesus' work. He has been faithful to call them to follow him. It is so humbling, really deeply humbling to be one of Jesus' disciples because the work is his. And it's also so great to be one of his disciples because he has called each one of us here into a relationship with himself and with each other. And even more than that, he has given us an amazing privilege to serve him and he's given us the power to do just that. So as we close, give thanks for Jesus as the faithful, powerful son who calls you and enables you to follow him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the good news of the gospel that we see here, that Jesus came to call sinners to have faith in him and to be able to follow him.
Lord, we pray for those in this congregation who may not know you yet, who may not have actually listened to your call to come to you, to repent and believe. We pray that you would work faith. And Lord, for those of us who have believed in you and are following you, we pray that you would give us more faith, more obedience. Show us those areas in our life where you will make us grow to be more like yourself. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased as you look at us and as you see your son's work in our life. We pray, Lord, that you would make us faithful to follow you through all of our life in all circumstances. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.